following podcast is a production of the network. Check us out on BICBP-radio.com. You're listening to Common Debauchery with your hosts, The Nightmare and Rotten Jack. <laughs> Common debauchery may contain mature subject matter and is intended for adult listeners only. Listener discretion is advised. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to a brand new episode of Common Debauchery. I am the Nightmare, and I am joined. It is late night recording session with the Rotten Jack. What's up, buddy? How are you today, sir? Oh, you know, not so bad. And you? Oh, not so bad. So uh, it is the episode before is the, the Halloween pen, is the penultimate episode. Yes, this is uh, the ulti- This is the we'll call it the Halloween episode Eve. Yes, uh, we are putting this one out on Tuesday, our normal normal drop day, and then we are going to have a special released on Thanksgiving episode. Thanksgiving. You're yep. a month ahead of yourself. I sure am. I'm sorry. My It's late. Oh, we already said that. Uh, released on Halloween. Halloween. We are doing it. Uh, so we have <clears throat> two awesome and fun uh, topics. And, and some of the fun, like the fun part about these uh, is they are real world horrors. Yes. Uh, so this is stuff that like is it happens every day in our country, in the world around us, um, you know, and. The first thing we're gonna we're gonna step into is the realm of cults. Yeah. So, yeah, cults extremely messed up. Yes. Um. Now, some may like to claim that like Mormons or Scientology are cults. We're not getting into that. That's with so, respect to people of those you know faiths and beliefs. We're we're not gonna step into that. We're we're gonna focus more on like. The crazy fucking cults that you hear about. So, uh, re- really, like, what and what this is when it comes to Scientology and Mormon, uh, the, the Mormon Church or the Church of Mormon, however you want to call it, um, is they are still a widely considered organized religion. Uh, where, so, like, a cult is a system of religious veneration and devotion directed toward a particular figure or object. Um. Those are more of a full tilt religious belief system, right. an organized religion, uh, and they're actually somewhat considered a, like religious entities the same way the Roman Catholic Church would be. Sure. So, and, and and out of respect of the uh, the people who may or may not listen to us that do or may follow those uh, different religious sects, um, we will not be discussing them in any way, shape, or form beyond this conversation. So. Right. Uh, and that's really just out of respect for those. What we're really getting into here is the weird, nitty gritty, um, like deep, dark cult cult world. Yeah. When you think of cult, like these are the things that you're going to think of. Yes. So to start things off, we're going to start with the children of God. Ooh. Or is this the family international? The yeah, uh, it's Children of God slash Family International. They've gone through a couple different name changes over the years. Uh, most recently, I think it was 2014. Uh, sorry, 2004. They changed their name to uh, Family International. 
Right. But uh, formerly known as the Teens for Christ, yep. the Children of God, the Family of Love, the Family, and then the Family International. Yep. So they were formed in uh, 1968 in California. Huntington Beach, California. Yes, by a guy named David Berg. Uh, Berg was a Christian and Missionary Alliance pastor. Um, He started as an evangelical preacher. Evangelical? Yeah, evangelical. um, (laughs) Who had a a huge following of like born-again hippies. Cool. Um, They originally gathered in a coffee shop in Huntington Beach in Orange County. Uh, then in 1969, after having a revelation that California would be hit by a major earthquake, he took and left Huntington Beach and took his followers on the road with him. Um, they did some weird stuff. Um, they recruited new people using something that Berg coined himself called flirty fishing. Cool. Basically, they would send... Going out and wiggling your worm for people, huh? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, giggity. They would uh, they would send uh, attractive young females that were their members out to like the fishing spots and stuff like that. Right, completely naked. Ooh, and uh, basically entice guys to sleep with them, and and, uh, and then say, "Hey, join my cult." Pretty much, like they'd get them basically hooked on them. Like, "Hey, we'll keep sleeping with you. Just come join our come join our little group here." Um. Yeah, it, uh, to you, it, it, and they used sex to show God's love and mercy. Yes, and and like so, basically saying like, "This is God showing you the way." Right, the way to my pants. Yes, the pants Which, way. The way that they viewed sex kind of leads us into some of the darker stuff. Right. Um, allegedly, the children of God or Family International, whatever you want to call them, uh, they allegedly opposed anti-pedophilia laws. That's a no. That's um, no bueno. We don't yeah, like that. Definitely fought against those. Uh, according to some former members, having sex with children was not only permitted, but was thought to be a divine right. Well, that's real fucked up. Yeah. Um, they uh, they changed their name to Family International in 2004. Uh, they still exist today, operating in 80 countries, although they no longer permit sex between adults and children. Oh. oh, so that's a good thing. Thank God. Yeah, right? Um, there really wasn't a whole lot about the this group other than um, this stuff that I have here just because they're, they're a fucked up cult. Right. But they weren't like the murderer type of cult. So uh, you, you have here that they're still operating. They still exist today. Yes. In 80 countries. Yes. Uh, they don't per- permit, you know, the pedophilia practice anymore yes uh but their recent teachings are based on beliefs in which the term uh the new spiritual weapon they believe that they're soldiers in the spiritual war of good versus evil for the souls and hearts of men Hmm. all right uh there's actually a little bit more here on yeah if you got more stuff go ahead i just kind of wrote like bullet notes and stuff so whatever Uh, you come up with so uh, spirit helpers, including angels, other religious and mythical figures that we've talked about and ad nauseum at this point on this podcast, uh, and departed humans, yeah. including celebrities, for example, the goddess Aphrodite, the snowman, Merlin, the Sphinx, Elvis, Melon, Marilyn Monroe, Audrey Hemper. Uh, so the, these people were considered spiritual helpers by TFI. Okay. Um, 
they heavily believe that the in the biblical pack that the biblical passage I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven and whatsoever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatsoever you lose on earth will be loosed in heaven uh, refers to an increasing amount of spiritual authority that was given to Peter and the elder or the, or the early disciples and according to their beliefs the passage refers to keys that were hidden and unused in the centuries that followed but were again revealed through Karen Zerby as more power to pray and obtain miracles. They call on these keys for extra effect during prayer. The keys, like most TFI beliefs, were published in magazines that looked like comic books in order to make them teachable to children. Uh, Those beliefs are still generally held and practiced even after the reboot documents of 2010. Yo. Um... If you really want to get into it and hear like firsthand accounts of like TFI and everything like that, uh, there are a couple notable like actually like Hollywood celebrities that were actually born into the cult and got out. Uh, most notably, um, Rose McGowan and Joaquin Phoenix, and, right? Like, uh, like all the like Joaquin River, all those guys. Uh, I know they have. Um, they don't talk about it often, but I know they have done interviews in the past and stuff where they have talked about being born into it and kind of growing up in that. So uh, had they continued through it, they would be known as SGAs or second generation adults. Yes. In the cult. Yeah. Uh, so that's incredibly interesting. And like again, the fact that they're still operating in 80 countries like yeah. from where they came from is insane. Yeah. A coffee shop in Huntington Beach, California, and they're in 80 countries now. Yeah. It's nuts. That's wild. It's nuts. Um, moving on, we're going to get a little darker here. Which is good, because this is supposed to be spooky season. Yes. Uh, we're going to talk about Colonia Dignidad, or via... Dig- Dignity Colony. Yes. Uh, Colonial Dignidad, or via Baviera, as it's known today. Um. Dignidad uh, was founded in Chile in 1961 by uh, literal Nazis who escaped Germany um, and came as opposed to hypothetical Nazis. Yes, um, who came here post World War II. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Um, Their founder Paul Schaefer was actually a fugitive from West Germany, um, facing child sex abuse charges. Weird. Seems to be a that's not a theme at all. Theme, yeah. Um. He he arrived there uh, with about 70 followers and allegedly kidnapped children. Okay, so we're off to a good start. Nazis, sex abuse charges, kidnap kids. Sweet. Okay. Um, basically, Schaefer made a deal with the Chilean government, who was in a dictatorship at that time. Right. Uh, that uh, he would be given asylum in return for allowing... Um, the dictator, hang on, I have uh, Pinochet. Pinochet. Yeah. Um, uh, he would be given asylum there for allowing the dictator to basically use the site as a secret detention and torture camp for political detainees. Um, this place was completely surrounded. It was basically a military camp from the get-go. Uh, right. Surrounded by barbed wire. It had watchtowers and, you know, secret weapons caches all over the place. Um, they, they Schaefer basically dismantled families there as well. 
Um, parents couldn't talk to their kids, and most kids didn't even know who their siblings were. Um, he prohibited any type of relations between adult men and women. They all had to sleep in separate sleeping quarters from the other sexes. Um, there's actually evidence that proves Schaefer sexually abused and tortured children there. Damn. Um, in 96, uh, Schaefer fled child sex abuse charges in Chile after the country turned back to a democracy. They overthrew the dictatorship, came back a democracy. I, I want to believe, I want to say it was in 1990 they finally did that. Right. Uh, so in 96, he fled for child abuse charges there. They caught him in 2005 in Argentina. Uh, him and 26 others were charged um, with all kinds of like crimes and everything that went on there. Uh, sentenced to 20 years in prison, but he died in 2010. So now when they got rid of the dictatorship and they kind of went in there, um, they ended up finding... Uh, in like a potato cellar, uh, 500 plus files from known missing persons from the area uh, that, hang on, I lost my spot here, uh, that uh, detailed severe human rights violations committed under Schaefer and uh, Pinochet. Pinochet. Um, and the, the really fucked up thing about this place is uh, as of 2019, this place is open as a tourist resort named Via Baviera. So, interestingly enough, the colony itself uh, wanted to project to the outside world an image of harmony, order, and an, an inclusive system of communal work to the point that they put out their own press co- uh, press ops and they recorded and broadcasted videos showing their happy residents amid celebrations mm-hmm. and com- uh, commemorations, men dedicated for farm work, women and girls embroidering or preparing butter. Um, they were actually overshadowed by the allegations of people who actually got to escape. Yeah, there were, and then there were a they few. would seek asylum in Germany. Yeah. Uh, and one of them actually got out. It was Wolfgang Mueller who got in 1966, uh, got to Germany, sought asylum and first exposed the atroc- atrocities that occurred within the colony. He obtained a German citizenship and worked for a newspaper, soon becoming an activist in Germany against the leaders of uh, Colonia Dignidad, and finally became the president of the foundation dedicated to the support of victims in Chile. Um, He ended up freeing another inhabitant of the colony who confirmed the allegations and provided more information on the abuses. Uh, The allegations were first rejected by politicians and were emphatically denied due to the ties with the government or the management of the colony. Because at that time... Chile was still under the dictatorship. So right. him and him and uh you know Schaefer and Pinochet were in cahoots with each other on shit. They're not going to like Right. So they like they they try to be like what the hell are you doing on there? They're like nothing. Look, it's, it, everyone's happy and having a good time. Right. Like Yeah. Um oh, weird. That uh Colonia Dignidad was actually featured in an episode of uh Hunting Hitler. Uh so if you actually want to see what it looks like oh. or anything like that, um they actually went there uh, looking for... Because, I mean, there were reports that, like, Joseph Mengele was there for a while. There was reports that Hitler was there for a while. Um, so there's a, a lot of Nazi ties to this facility. Yeah, and if you know anything about anything, the Nazis were into some weird, weird shit, man. Yeah, it's it, it's also theorized that Colonia Dignidad uh, potentially could have been, like, the staging ground for... Um, like the plans to rebuild uh, the Fourth Reich, right? They probably were, probably, yeah. Definitely, definitely sucks when people get out and start tattling on you, though, right? 
Should have built bigger fences. <laughs> Employed better snipers. Yes. Uh, don't do don't do that. <laughs> Jesus <laughs> Christ, that got dark quick. Oh boy. Oh well, we're getting darker. Uh, heaven's we're, gate. We're, Let's we're open. Diving. Let's we're open diving. Heaven's gate, bud. Uh so Heaven's Gate. Uh, formed in 1974 by Bonnie Nettles and Marshall Applewhite. Um, people today that like to talk about it like to call it a UFO religion. So you know it's a good thing when the history of this starts with began his foray into biblical prophecy yeah. in the early 70s. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Um, Basically, the way this boils down to is that in uh, on March 26, 1997, 39 bodies, including Applewhite, were found in a San Diego house. Okay, that's how that's how it ended. Right. Let's rewind a bit and figure out how we got there. So, Applewhite believed that a spaceship following the Hell-Bop comet would take them to, quote, another level of existence above human after their deaths. So, he convinced... 39 other people in his, or 38 other people in his group to commit ritual mass suicide together. Cause if they died when the comet was at its closest point to the earth, right? That spaceship was going to pick them up and take them onto the next level. Yeah. Sounds good to me. Yeah. Um, so they, uh, they took a uh, phenobarbital mixed with applesauce or pudding I mean, if you're going to go, may as well be go, go with a good snack. Right. You know, applesauce and pudding? Yeah. Duh. Uh, Toss that in some potato salad. Let's get to work. Yeah. Uh, they then washed all that down with vodka. Ooh. And then tied plastic bags around their heads to induce asphyxiation. Ah. Yes. So you're getting all jacked up on phenobarbitrol and vodka. Mm-hmm. And then asphyxiating yourself, which we all know can have... Other effects on the body, which yeah. is I, like, what a weird way to do this. Right. Well, let's be uh, honest. They were n- not all in their right minds. Hey, clearly. I, listen, at least they at least they went dressed well um, with the black sweatshirt, like yeah. the, the, the full black sweatsuits, brand new Nikes and armbands that read Heaven's Gate away team. I, I get a kick out of that one with like, five I'm not going to lie with a one, a $5 bill and three quarters in their pockets. Yeah. Some, someone, uh, one of the articles I read said that, uh, the significance of that was that that's what they always left home with in their pockets. Like when they went to work or something, right. Um, like $5 for like bus fare or lunch or whatever. And then like the three quarters were to like make pay phone calls and shit like that. That makes sense. Um, so, Basically, they theorized that um, all these people uh, died in three groups over three days based on the way that the bodies were found. Because um, I just read one of your notes on this. This is awesome. How far down? Oh, not far. Just keep going. Okay. Um, so they they theorized they theorized that uh, they died uh, in three waves over three days uh, because the. Um, the way the bodies were found that uh hang on uh once a member was dead uh, a living member removed the bag from their head posed the body neatly on their bed with their faces and torsos covered in a purple cloth for privacy duh um applewhite is presumed to be the third last one to die uh and only and that's theorized because um 
two two bodies were found not posed with the bag still on their head and um no no cloth draped over them because there was nobody left to right. do that stuff for them um so at at the very least Appleboy was the third last one to die um because the other two offed themselves together after everybody else was gone sure um i i don't understand the cults with like the mass ritual suicide like i so don't I, get this, it so i've we'll, never believed in anything that much well but so we'll, we'll talk about this when we get to the end because there's some very interesting like psychology to behind this so we'll, we'll get there um i'm confused like so the, how oh. like how how were there two surviving members um did they just decide not to eat eat the pudding yeah, I think it was um, – they didn't really say how they were surviving. I don't know if they were just members of the group and just didn't participate in this right. or or what the deal was. Um, oh, I know what, know what you were looking at. Uh-huh. Uh, so the, <laughs> the, two, the two surviving members stated that the uniforms were to represent unity. And the Nikes were because the group got, and I quote, a good deal on the shoes. Yeah. That is a direct <laughs> quote from the survivors. They got a good deal on the shoes. That's why they were wearing the Nikes. That's fantastic. They were Nike decades. Duh. To be uh, precise. Guess what's gonna be on guess what's gonna be on the artwork for this episode? I'm a gonna find a pair I'm gonna find a pair of Nike They're decades. They're black and white, by the way. Sweet. They're Even black better. and white Nike decades because they got a good fucking price on got them. Got a good price on them. Because they're the stock the stock version. Right. I you know what oh I God. laughed I laughed pretty fucking good when I read that too yeah like really I, like, that's why they chose those shoes got to be practical bro <laughs> you can't be spending like you're gonna die you know you're you're you gonna be frugal yourself. with your money oh man um, this this fucking guy yeah so that moving fucking, on that fucking mug yeah uh we got the Manson family I mean we don't really there's really not much to go in depth with on the Manson family. Uh, they were formed in the late 60s, early 70s in California. He had like 100-plus followers. They were all habitual uh, hallucinogenic drug users. They were they, all using LSD and, and shit. And here's the – they were a commune, yeah. so they all lived together yeah. and like worked together. They were a gang. Yeah. And they were a cult. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Jesus. Uh, they, they literally believed Manson was a manifestation of Jesus Christ. Manson believed that. Yeah. Well, his followers believed it too. Right. Um, really the only thing that they're really well known for is the, uh, 1969 murder of Sharon Tate and four others. Right. Uh, they were also charged with multiple other murders and assaults. Um, there was one other kind of like high profile one that allowed them to link, uh, the group to Sharon Tate and this other one. Um, but it was a name that I've never heard of before, so I didn't really write it down. Um, they uh they they claim that um the reason for all of Manson's actions were he wanted to start a race war. Right. That that was simply it. He wanted whites and blacks to fight and he didn't care how he went about doing it. This is just the way he particularly went about trying to incite said race riot. Um Manson himself uh was charged in 71 with seven counts of first degree murder. One count of conspiracy to commit murder. Uh, he was given the death sentence, but it was reversed to life without parole in 1972 after California abolished the death penalty. Right. Um, 
which he actually survived until just a few years ago. Uh, he just died in prison in 2017. Um, the four other four other defendants in uh, like the Sharon Tate case uh, were all charged. Uh, were all given guilty verdicts in each. They were each charged with 27 counts. It yeah. didn't specify what counts or what. They each had 27 counts against them. They all got charged guilty on all of them. Yeah, they they basically charged this as a hive mindset. Yeah, like they didn't just charge him and then like. Yeah varying degree if, if you were involved you got everything because yeah. you were part of it yeah. like you you 100 percent could any one of you could have walked away and stopped this and you didn't so you're 100%. all guilty if if one's like if one goes all go right um there is some debate as to whether manson ever actually killed anyone himself that, that is that is one of the things um i can tell you by having watched a lot of documentaries learning about this in school and so on and so forth uh, that is his main claim and why he appealed multiple, multiple, times. multiple, multiple times. He, he never pulled the trigger. He never he, stabbed anyone. He, he never personally killed anyone. He basically came out and said he was never there. Uh, he was never part of it. He never, you know, and like if people chose to misinterpret things he said and decided to go do these things and claimed it was on his behalf, that's not on him. Right. You know, I, I cannot be responsible. Like a lot of it was... You know, I can't be responsible for like if you if you turn you got a hundred followers and right. ten of them go off and commit crimes. I mean, he he said flat out in one of his interviews that if I turn around and say the sky is blue, and you interpret that as I should go kill this right. person, that's not on me. Like I I can't be held responsible for other people's actions, and he fought until the day he died yeah. that he should not have been in jail. Um, and if you watch some of like I mean, this dude. This dude Listen, we're not, we're not advocating for it. We're just playing devil's advocate here. Uh, like he was fucked up, no, and he deserved to be in jail. One hundred percent. We're stating facts of his case, but, and of his life. Yeah, like, the, the facts are that no one really knows if he ever actually killed anyone with his own hands. Right, and we're talking about a dude who, at what, like every single time he came up for a parole. Uh, because he did come up a few times. He, yeah. he like suddenly, like one day, he like he had been a model inmate. He had been going to di- you know different uh, counselors and everything else, and then he walked into his parole hearing with a schwa- a freshly carved swastika in his forehead. Yeah, that like he recarved until it was permanent. Yeah, until the day he died. Like yeah. this dude was he showed up. up. He showed up to I don't know if it was a parole hearing or or a court date. He uh, he shaved his head and then trimmed his beard into like a like a like a fork. Yep. And he showed up there and started screaming I'm the devil. Yeah. It people actually like put through the theory out there that he was essentially like he knew he didn't belong back out in public and there was a chance that if he that he was intelligent enough. Well, he spent most of his entire life uh behind bars. Right. And he cuz like the thing is there were different spots where he could have potentially been let out uh, at different times for different reasons. And every time an opportunity presented itself, he did something crazy, he did something crazy to prevent it. And it, they, they basically said he, it's almost like he knew what he would do if he got out and he knew it was better to stay type yeah. thing or, or what or the other side of it is what would happen to him if he got out. Um, I mean, cause he, like he showed a lot of anger toward a lot of his, uh, the, the Manson family members, uh, during different interviews, especially uh, his number two, which was his name was Tex. Uh, he a lot of anger toward him, a lot of anger toward, you know, people who kind of 
after they got away from him, kind of like, what the hell was I doing? Right. And, like, opened up about him, despite, and, like, a lot of them received, you know, shorter sentences and, you know, leniency because they basically said he told us to do this. He brainwashed us into doing these things. He, you know, basically kept us high off our asses on hallucinogenic drugs and made us believe things that weren't true. Right. And... You know, which is why he was the only one that really served as long as he did until yeah. the day he died and everybody else at some point or another, I believe, got out. But yeah, so tell me about the Branch Davidians. The Davidians. That's what I said. Yeah. Uh, this is basically Waco. Um, <laughs> Jim Dickens. So before <laughs> we actually get into like the Waco Waco part of it, um, we're going to give you a little background on the Branch Davidians in general. So... The Branch Davidians themselves were formed in 1955 uh, by Benjamin Roden. Uh, Roden, no, no, it was. Um, the Branch Davidians was basically a continuation of the General Association of Davidian Seventh Day Adventists that was itself established in 1935 by Victor Hotef. Damn. Um, Bulga- so, he was a Bulgarian immigrant. Yeah. And a Seventh day Adventist. I don't even know what the Seventh day Adventists are, but. Stand by. Uh, is a Protestant Christian denomination by which is distinguished by its observance of Saturday as the se- the seventh day of the week in Christian and Jewish calendars as the Sabbath and its emphasis on the imminent second coming of Jesus Christ. Hmm. That's the. Uh, Interesting. It's the Reader's Digest version for you. Hmm. Uh, so basically, uh, Hodef built the compound near Waco called sure. Mount Carmel. Um, mm, Carmel. He died in 1955, and then uh, Benjamin Roden, uh, who was a former follower of her, uh, who called himself the Branch because it was some kind of significance in some type of biblical lore that they followed. Um, he, he called the Davidians to Mount Carmel to hear his message. Okay. Right. So now everything's going smooth and fine. They weren't nuts. They weren't like a cult at this point. They were just a religion. Right. And that they were, they were known as then the branch Davidians. Yeah. From that point forward, they were known as the branch Davidians. So Roden dies in 78 and his son, George pretty much takes over at that point. Okay. Um, now, in 81, Vernon Howell arrives to study there. Uh, in 84, the allegiance shifts uh, to Howell, and a power struggle ensues, and Howell and his fo- and his followers leave uh, sometime later in 84. So, if you're wondering who the hell Vernon Howell is, that's David Koresh. Oh. David Koresh wasn't his real name. Gotcha. Um, basically, uh, in 87, uh, Koresh came back with seven followers to storm Mount Carmel with weapons to try to retake it. Uh, they tried. They failed. They all got arrested. And somehow they all went to court and got found not guilty. I don't know how that works. Sweet. Uh, so um, eventually uh, he gained the leadership position from George Roden. Uh, and then that's when he changed his name to David Koresh. Um, David for being um, like King David and Davidian. Right. And then uh, Koresh was some Hebrew for some special Hebrew word. Um, I didn't note that down. Um, 
they thought of themselves. Oh, there you go. What's that? Okay, so uh, the name David Koresh suggests that he had ties to the biblical King David and Cyrus the Great. Koresh is the Hebrew version of the name Cyrus. Oh. So there you go. Okay. See, we learn new things as yes. I read along. See, I have the notes. You have the computer. You you look up things that I'm a little fuzzy on here. Um, so basically, they once Koresh took over, they thought of themselves as the students of the Seven Seals rather than Branch Davidians. Okay. Um, basically, he had like a different theology and you know, kind of mindset and path that he wanted to take his followers down that wasn't necessarily what the Branch Davidians were. Okay. Yeah. So this is where things start getting bad. Pretty much everything was nice and peachy until Koresh came along, which is usually how cults go. Yes. Um, so uh, Koresh uh, allegedly, and not even allegedly, it's pretty much been proven at this point, uh, he abused children and committed statutory rape by taking multiple underage brides. Do you know why? Yes, that's my next point. Okay. Um, he did it because he advocated polygamy for himself and stated he was entitled to 140 wives and claimed any woman he wanted in the group he could claim as his. Um, so didn't matter how old, if they were already married. Like, right. It'd be like me coming in and be like, yo, man, I like Allie. She's my wife now. Right. But do you know why? The, uh, the entire purpose of this... Apparently, was, I missed that point then. What do you was, got? Was he wanted to create a, create a new lineage of world leaders. So, because he claimed he had heritage of King David and Cyrus the Great, that any child of his would, be a, would, would create a new lineage of unified world leaders. Hmm. That's interesting. So, there you go. I, uh, maybe I missed that because I didn't really... No, I, you, I looked l- for... Listen, that's why I'm here. Yeah. yeah. Um... So like I said, he advocated polygamy, pretty much took any woman, no matter their age, that he wanted to that compound and made them his wife. Um, he uh, he said to have uh, fathered at least a dozen children, uh, some of them with girls as young as 12 or 13. So this is where it starts getting real dark and fucked up with the cult stuff. Yeah. Um, could you imagine? Like, because this was only 93. Right. That this shit happened. Yeah. Koresh's kids potentially, well, because most of them fucking died there. Uh, some of them could potentially be walking around. Like 26, 27 years old. Yeah. 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 Like that thought blows my mind. Yeah. It's it's weird. Could you imagine finding out that fucking Koresh was your father? No. I wouldn't want to know. That would ruin my life. <laughs> no. You think? Jesus. Um, So this is where we started getting into the Waco siege shit. Right. Um, So basically the Waco siege happened from February 28th and it ended on April 19th of 1993. Um, Basically the ATF suspected Koresh and the gang there of stockpiling weapons. Um, They attempted to execute a search warrant, even though apparently someone tipped the Branch Davidians off and they knew they were coming. The ATF director was like, yeah, I don't fucking care. Just, like, load up with all the guns and go. Okay. So, when the ATF arrived, they stated that gunfire was coming from the compound upon arrival, uh, but 
the survivors uh, from the Branch Davidian compound uh, said that uh, ATF was shooting first. Right. Um, so there's some debate as to who shot who who shot first, Han or Greedo. You right. Know? The same same idea. Right. Um, so right off the bat, Koresh was wounded. He was shot in, like the hand, the stomach, everything. So Good. he's pretty much down for the count. Fantastic. Like he's not dead, but he's pretty well messed up. Um, it couldn't happen to a better guy. Right. Yeah. It's such a poor, poor situation to happen, you know? Right. Um, so an ATF agent was killed trying to enter a window on the roof. Uh, another shot in the head trying to retreat. That's where shit really kind of kicked off. So apparently this firefight went on for about 45 minutes. Yep. Uh, the ATF actually did make it into, uh, the building into what they thought was Koresh's room where they actually did find a weapons cache. Yes. Uh, when they found the weapons cache, uh, pretty much the branch Davidians just opened unholy hell fire down on them. And they pretty much just had to bail out of any window they could get the hell out of. Yep. Um, Uh, four, four agents were killed. 16 were wounded. Yeah. Uh, five branch Davidians were killed. It uh, doesn't say how many were. And this is like in the first 45 minutes of this thing going on. Uh, basically, the ATF said that really the only reason that they backed out was because they started running out of ammo. Yes. And the Davidians had pretty much unlimited supply. So there were, all, there were also two Branch Davidians that were killed by other Branch Davidians. Apparently. Yeah. Yeah. Friendly fire. Gotta love it. <laughs> Can't you turn that off? <laughs> no, that's not how that works. No. That's that. That's something else. <laughs> Um, so after, after that all started, the FBI started a, uh, a 51 day siege. Uh, they cut all power, water, uh, all communications in and out of that place. Um, finally, uh, they thought they were making a breakthrough with, uh, with Koresh. Um, they sent in like a video camera for him to record stuff on the inside. And he pretty much took the time to record a, a, a self-help like like kind of deal and like introduced the the camera to like all of his wives and his children and some of these girls were literally 13 14 years old saying that yep like i'm his wife like this is my infant child that i had with him so that's how that well it's all proven um basically everything kind of came to a standstill. Uh, and then on April 19th, uh, the FBI said, all right, enough's enough. Um, apparently, the head of the FBI did contact uh, President Clinton at the time to see his opinions on it. Um, Clinton actually wanted them to just wait it out. Um, he, he said that it had worked recently at another um, kind of like siege, and uh, it, it worked. They eventually all came out, and no one was no one further was hurt or killed. Um, but, um, the leader of the FBI was very adamant about just going in and getting this done. Um, so Clinton basically said, all right, well do whatever you got to do. So there's a little tidbit. Probably not many people knew. Right. Um, so on the 19th, the FBI used explosives to punch holes in the walls to pump in tear gas. They just blew holes yeah. all over the place and just started lobbing in tear gas. Got to do what you got to do. Right. Um, after six hours of continuously lobbing tear gas into this place, not one person came out. That, sound, that sounds right. Yeah. 
come to find out they're all hiding in a uh, like a concrete bunker in the basement. And had gas masks. And some of them had gas masks. And Fantastic. Like yeah. Uh, so that all started at about six in the morning ish, sure. five thirty-six in the morning. Um, around noon, uh, three fires broke out in different parts of the compound. Uh, there is debate over who actually started the fires. Um, the Davidians that survived said that the the government started them. The government saying that you know the Davidians started them themselves. I don't know if we'll ever actually know the truth on that one. Not that it matters. Fire started. That's yeah. what kind of kicked things off. Um, ironically, nine people actually left during the fire. Nine Branch Davidians said, oh. all right, fuck this. Enough's enough. I'm out. And uh, they they got out of there. Um, 76 people died as a result of the siege and everything that ensued. Um, some were buried alive by rubble. Some suffocated to death. Uh, some were shot. And uh, there there are claims of possible cyanide poisoning uh, in some. Uh, because when you... When tear gas starts on fire, cyanide release is right. a side effect of it. Sure. Um, there's really no necessary proof that that is what caused the cyanide poisoning or if they just started like taking cyanide and shit. Right. Who knows? Um, Koresh himself uh, had uh, his top aide shoot him sure. to kill him. And then the aide killed himself. Um, Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, that's pretty much the gist of the branch Davidians. Uh, you know, he liked kids and guns and 76 people died as a result of it. Uh, and uh, did I read correctly? Did I, I apologize if I if I missed hear missed hearing you say that. But this was the primary motivation for the McVeigh bombing in yeah. Oklahoma City. Yeah, when McVeigh was caught, he directly stated that uh, the Waco siege and the massacre of the Branch Davidians was his primary motivation for the Oklahoma City bombing. Damn. Yeah. Uh, so there is a current modern incantation of the Branch Davidians uh, that exists under the leadership of Charles Pace, who was a follower of Ben and Lois Roden. Uh, he was a member of the Branch Davidians from the mid-70s. Uh, they call themselves now the Branch, the Lord, Our Righteousness, is a legally recognized denomination with 12 members. Pace says that Kinesh, or Koresh twisted the Bible's teachings by fathering more than a dozen children with member wives. Pace believes that the Lord has anointed me and appointed me to be the leader, but he says he is not a prophet, but a teacher of righteousness. Uh, there are other another branch of Branch Davidians, led by Clive Doyle. Uh, they continue to believe that Koresh was a prophet and await his resurrection along with his followers who were killed. Uh, both incarnations are still waiting for the end of times. Great. So we have one group of people that followed the original lineage. Yep. And they're kind of on the right side of things. And then we got the wrong side of things of people actually following Koresh. Yep. Awesome. When's Waco Part 2? Uh, I don't think either of them are large enough for that to be a thing. Thank God. Well, yeah. I mean, the one that it's only got 12 people. Um, so, yeah. So people's temple. No, we got to talk about one more before we get to that. Probably like the most prolific and like exhausting cults that anyone has ever had to deal with. Oh, no. Crossfitters and vegans. <laughs> How do you know if someone does CrossFit or if they're vegan? Don't worry. Don't they'll worry. Tell you. They'll fucking tell you. Uh, sure will, won't they? <laughs> God. 
they are brutal, aren't they? They're like I, that you, shit you, you really guys, is a cult. You guys, you guys knew we couldn't be totally serious this whole episode. No. Uh, you know what's funny is I there are vegans out there that are like they're so obnoxious that if it makes me want to like eat a steak right in front of them. Well, it, it's so brutal that like they're the type of people that, uh, and this is actually a true story of somebody that I know personally. Uh, they can't have food cooked in a pan that meat has been cooked in because it's wrong, and they can taste the difference. Even if the pan has been cleaned, yep. like this pan yep. has been in my cupboard for six months. I haven't yep. used it in six months. You you used it one time to cook ground beef. Nope. She can taste it. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. Uh, uh, Crossfitters are weird too. Don't worry. We're, you guys are dumb. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so on to kind of like the piece de resistance. Uh, probably the, the most. Creme de la creme. The, probably the most. If. If the Branch Davidians in Waco aren't the most well-known like cult of all time out there, um, it's definitely the People's Temple. Um, they are probably tied for number one for the most recognizable. Uh, and you might not understand what I'm talking about with People's Temple. But you will. What, what comes to mind when I talk Jonestown? Don't yep. drink the Kool-Aid. Reverend Jim Jones. Yes. Um, so People's Temple... Uh, was originally founded in 1954 by Reverend Jim Jones in Indianapolis, Indiana. Um, uh, he he basically founded it, and it was a kind of combination of Christianity with communist socialist ideals, as well as uh, he he promoted racial equality. So kind of we're kind of not off to a bad start here. Right. Like I can I can do without the the communist socialist stuff. Sure, but but equality you know, and racial equality. Know. Sure. Awesome. Apparently, uh, I looked at numbers for uh, his membership. Uh, about half of his membership was African-American oh. or people of color. There you um, go. He was a very inclusive guy. Um, <laughs> oh, that's going to be funny later. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Um, Carrying on. <laughs> so um, he eventually moved... Um, the entire church and pretty much all of his followers that he had in Indianapolis to California in 1965 after he had a premonition that a nuclear Premonition. Yes. Uh, a nuclear holocaust was going to happen in 1967 that was basically going to um, turn the world into a new Eden. Uh, Sweet. I don't understand how if the entire world is being turned into a new Eden, what does it matter if he's in Indianapolis or California when it happens? Uh this stuff's not supposed to make sense. Right. Me. Right. Anyway. Um, so they uh, they moved to California in 65. Uh, they were there for quite a long time. Sure. Um, in 77, they moved to Guyana. I, I don't know how to pronounce the name of this country. Well, let's call it Guano <laughs> in South America. Um, uh, South American country. They moved there in 77. Uh, plans had actually been in progress to build a temple there since 1973 or 1974. Um, to, uh, but they they definitively moved there in 77 to escape pressure from media investigations detailing alle- allegations of abuse by former members. Cool. Yeah. That's a, and, and listen, when you when you if you're planning on starting a cult, don't. But if you are and you do, don't. But if you are and you do and you do anyway. Um, don't letting abuse pe- your people. Letting people out if you abuse them is what gets you caught. Yeah. That's probably, you know, just, you know, pro tip. Yeah. Not that I'm a pro, but just, you know, we're doing this episode. Right. 
You let people out, that's what gets you in trouble. Snitches get you stitches. Right. At that point. Right. Um, so in 77, he pretty much took his entire delegation to this South American country. Uh, it became very overcrowded due to the mass migration from the States. 900 uh, people came over. Over 900 people were there in oh 1978. Um, eventually, because of the, the overcrowding and everything, uh, the settlement uh, be- eventually became in disrepair, and they pretty much had no self-resources. Uh, they were on real shitty soil. They couldn't grow anything on their own. Right. They had to get like large quantities of like wheat and pretty much anything they wanted to eat, they needed to get it shipped in. Sure, uh, which gets pricey. Right. But uh, the way they funded all this was basically off Social Security checks. Sweet. All the, all the, all the members were getting like Social Security checks and basically just giving it to him, uh, which is something that ultimately led to the investigation sure. that came into moving to yeah. Guano. Yeah. Um, so because he wanted this to be like a utopian paradise down there, uh, like the ultimate communist compound, um, he uh, there, there really weren't any. There wasn't any real like laws or rules, but there were stuff that you could do to get you in trouble. And they had very unique punishments too. There wasn't like just like there was no jail. There wasn't all right, we're gonna lock you up in a jail cell, like calm down. Um they would uh lock people in a plywood box overnight. Uh children would be forced to spend the night at the bottom of a well. Sometimes they actually hung them upside down by their feet in this well. Even better. Yes. Uh, you know, I mean, in that thing, you, you, know, you always threaten your kids, you're going to string them up by their toes, <laughs> right? They literally did it. My parents did, uh, but they literally did. Um, so this torture hole, uh, as well as all the beatings and stuff that came out of this, uh, became the subject of a lot of rumor amongst the local population that lived down there. Sure. Um, sorry, there was a cat right there and. Yeah, she I wants to I play. Didn't know what she was doing. She's being weird. Yeah, and I can't. I don't know if the other ones on the other side of you or whatever. No, she's not. She's just being goofy. Okay, yeah. cool. Anyway, uh, continuing on. Um, so, again, they had some really weird stuff going on. Uh, children were basically surrendered to communal care, uh, and often only saw their parents briefly at night if they were even allowed to see them at all. It, like, that's always great when you separate kids from their parents sure because what real realistically what purpose does that serve uh separating the kids from their their families you're, you're trying to build this well, beautiful communist utopia essentially what it does is it causes like you can brainwash kids easier than you can brainwash parents so the right, kids but apparently these parents were already fucking brainwashed if right. they're there in the first place right but if the parents decide in the moment like you know one day like yeah you know what this is a little weird let's get out and the kids no. are like no this is home very like you can go, point. but I'm not. Like, and what parents could be like? All right, deuces, kid. Right there we go. Um, I swear, I, I I only studied this in college. Did you really? Yes, this was part like, and we'll get there. Okay. So, um, so the fucked up thing is, any anyone who knows about Jonestown knows it was the probably the biggest mass suicide, ritual suicide that was ever done anywhere in like all of history. Um, the fucked up thing was, is that he actually simulated and rehearsed 
this ritual suicide on at least two occasions. Right. Before they actually did it for real. So they they were told up, told to line up, everyone including kid including kids, given cups of red liquid, told they, they were told it contained poison that would kill them in forty five minutes. When the time was up, he revealed there was no poison and it was just a test of loyalty, but warned them that one time it would become necessary. Or yeah. there may be a time it became necessary. Yeah. Like how fucked up is that? He did that twice. Making people think that they're going to die in 45 minutes. And. And. And then went, ha ha, just kidding. And he was getting half pound shipments monthly of cyanide since 1976. Yeah. You know how he was getting that? He apparently uh, got some license to get it because he claimed he was using it to clean jewelry. Yeah. Um, Which I didn't realize you could use cyanide to clean jewelry, but that's how he went about acquiring. So, like. Obviously, like this, the actual suicide took place in 78. So for two years, half pound monthly for two monthly, years, two years. So he was getting six pounds of cyanide a month or a year for two. He had 12 pounds of fucking cyanide. Right. Enough, probably enough to kill a horse. <laughs> I'm not going to Google how much cyanide it takes to kill somebody because that's how you end up on an FBI watch list. I'll tell you. It was enough to kill 900 some odd people. Uh-huh. 918, including 276 children. Yes. Which is the which was the greatest single loss of American civilian life in a deliberate act until the events of September September 11th. Yeah, like, that's how fucked up this guy was. Yeah. Um. So basically, it all came to a head when uh, Representative Leo Ryan of California announced he was going to be visiting Jonestown uh, after concerning allegations put forth by former members and concerned relatives of people that lived there. He basically said, "All right." Something's not right here. I'm taking a delegation down there and we're going we're going down to we're gonna go down there and check this place out. Right. Uh they got down there uh in November, I believe it's November fourteenth. Fourteenth, there it is. Um they were and initially were told no. Yeah. They basically got told fuck off. Like you're not allowed here. Fuck off from whence you came. Oh. <laughs> um Three days later, they actually were allowed to enter the place, and it looks like two people passed someone in the group notes asking for help to get out, um, and that was seen by a child who told other temple members uh, he allowed anyone who wanted to defect to leave the next day. Yeah. Uh, so uh, from from all the reports, like this, when they did finally let them in, it was a very, like, very pleasant experience. Um, the like the the people said that uh, it was a little weird. They could tell something was off, but right. there's really nothing outwardly. Yeah, nothing you could wrong see. there. Like, which you would have to imagine that if somebody was doing the stuff that this guy was doing, like <clears throat> you're gonna hide it well. And it's about like, okay, no, we're not letting you in. Three days later, well, guess what? It probably took three days to get your shit in order. Like, all right, nothing out of the ordinary. Everything looks normal. We're just a, co- a commune living in yeah. peace. Right. Yes. Hello. Welcome in. We knew you'd come. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, uh, a couple people passed the notes. Uh, a kid saw it and snitched on them. Snitches, um, I tell you. Somebody then... tried to stab the... Uh, yeah, the guy, the, yeah. the the representative from California. Yeah. So the next morning, um, I believe it was nineteen people uh, got on a dump truck to head to the airport, and uh, the representative uh, Leo Ryan stayed behind 
to kind of like uh, process and see if there was anybody else that wanted to that wanted to go. Uh, while he was staying behind, some guy tried to stab him, and someone else was like, "All right, bro, like you, you gotta, gotta go. Gotta go. You, you, you're not gonna like, survive. It's not safe here for you anymore. You gotta go. Yeah, you're not gonna survive. You stick around." Um, so he he left. He got on the dump truck and went to the airport with the rest of the people. After that. Because it was, like, right as the dump truck was pulling off. Right. Like the dump truck wasn't more than, like, 50 feet down the road. And yeah. And they tried to stab this guy. Um, So, they originally only had, like, a 19-person plane to take everyone back. Because they weren't expecting so many people right. to, like, defect, to want to leave. Um, so, they actually had the U.S. Embassy arrange for a, uh, a second uh, six-passenger, like, Cessna. Yeah. Um, so... They uh they got to the airport. They had to wait because the planes weren't there. Plus, it took a little time to arrange the 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 extra plane and the Cessna. Sure. Um, while they were leaving the uh the compound, a uh a a man named Larry Lawton or Larry Layton, uh, who was the brother of one of the people who was defecting. Sure. Um, who was a very well known like loyalist of this temple. Oh hell yeah. Um. Um. He absolutely demanded that he wanted to leave with his sister, uh, and he was going. Like, there was no ifs, ands, or buts. He was leaving with his sister. Um, all the people that were leaving were like, um, what the fuck? Like, n- no? Can 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 someone, like, not allow this to happen? <laughs> right. Uh, because um, it went really bad. Because uh, he got on the first plane to attempt to take off. It was the six-passenger Cessna. Um, as soon as it taxied down the runway, uh, he pulled out a pistol and started shooting everyone inside that Cessna. Yep. Um, he pretty much wounded almost everybody on that plane. Until they were able to uh, disarm him. Yeah, his gun when misfired. When the gun misfired. Yeah, misfired and they disarmed God. him. Uh, eventually, Thank God for user error. Right. Uh, that plane actually took off. All those people survived. Right. Um, and he later was tried and convicted of all kinds of shit in the U.S., I hope they beat the tar out of him the whole plane ride home too. Right? Can you imagine? Well, I mean, if you were I, shot, I would. I mean, I would, listen, I don't, I don't be, care. Right? I would find ways to muster the energy to beat the piss out of that dude. Well, right? Like gun, like gunshot wounds and all. I'd be like, I don't know, drag me over there so I can beat him. Yeah. Like, um, so while that was all going on at one end of the runway, uh, Representative Ryan and the rest of his delegation and anyone else that was left was boarding. The, the second plane. The second plane, the 19-passenger plane. As they were getting on that, uh, a group uh, showed up with a tractor that was pulling a trailer. Not like a tractor trailer, like right, a literal a fucking farm tractor. Pulling a, like pulling a, a probably like a hay wagon. Right. Uh, they they got out, and the shoe sting started. Right. Uh, Gotta love when the shoot sting starts. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they, Ryan was shot. The, the The representative from California was killed after being shot 20 times. Yeah. Four other people died with him, and nine others were injured. Yeah. 20 uh, times they shot this fucking guy. I mean, I, do you blame them? They probably had a... They, they, they were going after him. Right. Like, you're the reason this is happening. Do you know why they were going after him? Probably because people left because they, of him? No. They thought that he was going to go back and tell the U.S. delegation in the States that this is a horrible place full of horrible things, and like the U.S. government needs to insert themselves immediately... And resolve this crisis. Right. He wasn't. No. He actually said before he died to one of the survivors that, you know, this place is a little weird. 
Um, I wouldn't want to live here, but like none to, of these, to none each of these, their own, teach their own. Like none of these people are necessarily being forced to live there. Right. Anybody who like the group who wanted to leave left, like right. they could have left. They could have, yeah, like, he, he wasn't going to like say anything terribly bad, but they went off the deep end and thought he was going to basically get them all shut down. So they went after him. Right. Uh, him, four others were killed. Uh, 20 times they shot this guy though. Yeah. Yeah, like uh, you, that's that is uh overkill. You really wanted this motherfucker dead. Yeah, that that's uh that is not that is double tap times 10. Yeah. Uh, uh so apparently after this dude left, they immediately started preparing a large metal tub of grape flavored of grape flavorade, which is the confusing thing because everyone the the, the quote is always don't, don't drink, drink the Kool-Aid. Kool-Aid. When Listen, they didn't, they didn't even have Kool Aid. It was flavoring. Why, why did the other cult wear the black Nikes? Because they got a good deal on them. Right. Why did they drink flavoring? Because it's cheaper than Kool Aid. Oh yeah. Right? Like my biggest thing would be like, Come I'd on, be that's like, gonna be the gold, right? My biggest thing would be like, I'd be like, no, fucking, if I'm gonna do this, give me the fucking cherry. <laughs> like I'm not drinking grape. Fuck that. So this flavoring was poisoned with Benadryl, multiple antipsychotics, sedatives such as Valium, and cyanide. They uh, went. Hard on this, yeah, like they I wanted to make sure you. Like, I again, literally, this is, this is the twenty gunshot wounds of yeah poisoned flavorade. Yeah, uh, I literally just wrote multiple antipsychotics and multiple sedatives because there was like the list was too long. Yeah, it was like three or four different antipsychotics and like two or three or four um, sedatives and stuff like that. Um, so. After that, they summoned everyone to the central pavilion where Jones was sat up on upon his throne. Right. Um, uh, according to people who actually survived, uh, they Which say means they didn't drink it. Yeah, they didn't drink the Kool Aid. Uh, they say people may have thought it was another loyalty test and willingly lined up to drink the mixture. Uh, they were saying that a mother and her infant child were the first people to go up. They drew up some of this flavor aid into a syringe. She shot the syringe full of this shit in this infant's mouth and then drank it herself. Jesus. Yeah. Um, basically, uh, they all thought it was probably another loyalty test until the poison started taking effect. Right. Once that happened, all shit broke loose. People got scared, but they were basically threatened either you drink this shit or, or we're just going to shoot, gonna shoot you. you in the head. Right. Um, Death came in about five minutes for the children, less for the infants, and 20 to 30 minutes for the adults. Jesus. My favorite part about this whole thing, Jones was too much of a fucking pussy to drink this shit himself. He shot himself in the head. Sure, that makes sense. Right. Um, All in all, 912 bodies were recovered, scattered all about. Jesus. Yeah. So um, he probably ended up shooting himself because... He saw what the poison was doing to people and was like, nah, never mind. So that is the long and short, mostly the long, of uh, the major cults that have happened, at least in American history. Right. Uh, the interesting side of this is the psychology behind a cult leader. Things that like, so like you, you hear these things, you hear these cult followings, you hear these people that dive into these things and follow these enigmatic characters. And you're like, no, no way. So they've actually done psychological studies of what, like what qualities cult leaders have that they can actually garner this type of following. Uh, they have a grandiose idea of who they are and what they can achieve. 
They're preoccupied with fantasies of unlimited success, power, or brilliance. They demand blind, unquestioned obedience. Uh, they require excessive admiration from their followers and outsiders. The outsiders part is usually what uh, ends up getting them, them undone. In. Yeah. Uh, they have a sense of entitlement, expecting to be treated as special at all times. They are exploitive of others by asking for their money or that, or that of relatives putting others at financial risk. Uh, they're arrogant and haughty in their belief and are in their behavior, behavior and attitude. They have an exaggerated sense of power or entitlement that allows them to bend rules and break laws. They take sexual advantage of the members of the sect or cult. Uh, sex is usually a requirement with adults and sub-adults as part of a ritual or a rite. Hypersens- they're hypersensitive to how they're seen or perceived by others. They publicly devalue others as being inferior, incapable, or not worthy. They make members confess their sins as f- or faults, publicly subjecting them to ridicule or humiliation while revealing exploitable weaknesses for of the penitent. Penitent. So basically, you make them say everything that's wrong, and you use it like he, like they to basically take mental notes in a way to ex- blackmail like, them later to well, to exploit you to exploit yeah. your weaknesses. Uh, they ignore the needs of others, including biological, physical, emotional, and financial needs. They are frequently they frequently boast of their accomplishments. They need to be the center of attention and do, and do things to distract others to ensure that they are being noticed. Uh, arriving late, using exotic clothing, over dramatic speech, or by making theatrical entrances. They've they always insist, or exits. Yes, <laughs> like shooting yourself in the head when everyone else is around you is dying from poisoning. Yeah. Uh, they always insist on having the best of anything: house, car, jewelry, clothes. Even when others are relegated to lesser facilities, amenities, or clothing. Uh, they don't seem to listen well when ne- to the needs of others. Communication is usually one way in the form of uh, of dictation. Haughtiness, grandiosity, and the need to be controlling is part of the personality. They behave as though people are subjects to be used or objects to be used, manipulated, or exploited for personal gain. When they're criticized, they lash out not just with anger but with flat-out rage. Uh, anyone who criticizes or questions them is called the enemy. Uh, anyone who is not a member or a not believer is the enemy. They act imperious at times, not wishing to know what others think or desire. They believe them to themselves to be omnipotent. Uh, they're magical answer. They have magical answers or solutions to all problems. They are superficially charming. They habitually put down others as inferior, and only they are superior to anything. They have certain coldness or aloofness about them that makes others worry about who the person really is or whether they really know them. They're deeply offended when they are perceived signs of boredom being ignored or being slighted. Uh, they treat others with contempt and arrogance. They're constantly assessing people to determine those who are a threat and those who are who revere them. The word I dominates conversations. They're oblivious to how others refer to, uh, refer to themselves. They hate to be embarrassed or fail publicly, and when they do, they act out with rage. Uh, they don't seem to feel guilty for anything that they've done wrong, nor do they apologize for anything. Uh, believe Half the they, time, they don't even think they've ever done anything wrong. Correct. And that's that's with that grandiose personality. Yeah. Uh, they believe they possess the answers and solutions to world problems. They believe themselves to be a deity. They are rigid, unbending, or insensitive uh, as far as, like, people th- like describe how they think is rigid, unbending, or insensitive. They try to control, control others. They isolate people from family and the outside world. Uh, they monitor or restrict contact with people from the outside. They work they work the least but demand the most. Uh, stated that he's destined for that they're destined for greatness or they will be martyred. Uh, they seem to be highly dependent on tribute and adoration and will often fish for compliments. They uses enforcers or sycophants to ensure 
compliance with members or believers. So that's where you get those guys that are like second, and third in command that push others to do what I want to do. Right. Uh, they sees that they see themselves as unstoppable, and they even has have perhaps even said so. Uh, they conceal their background or family, which would disclose how plain or ordinary they are. They don't think there's anything wrong with them and see themselves as perfection or blessed. They've taken away followers' freedoms to leave, travel, and pursue life or liberty, and they've isolated the group physically, meaning move to a remote area, is to not be observed. Uh, one of the biggest things about cult leaders that is probably one of the scariest is their natural charisma, just their ability right. to just speak and be eloquent and just draw people to them. Uh, if you've ever watched professional wrestling, it's actually the the tie of uh, Bray Wyatt's cult leader character yeah. where he refers to everyone as his little fireflies, like coming to his light. Yeah. Like that he is the light and the fireflies emanate to him. Like he emanates the light and the fireflies come to him. Um, it, it Like I know that's a, a professional wrestling character, but that portrayal... Just that, like, charismatic... That eloquence that he oh. talked with. Yes. He looked like such a backwoods, bumbling, like, product of incest as that character. Yes. But the eloquence that he talked with, like, the um, the the manner that he carried himself. Right. The, the, the Just the grandiose, like... Yeah. You know, like, almost supernatural being that he portrayed, which, again, was aided by the fact that it is professional wrestling. Sure. But, like, that was portraying, like, the... The, the characteristics of a true cult leader that would have a backwood groups of hi, group of hillbillies, i.e. the characters played by Harper, Rowan, and Stroman. Stroman. Yeah. Like, just these big, burly hillbillies. And, you know, they don't really talk much. They don't say much. They don't they, they wear sheep masks because they're, like, you know... And, and basically his whole thing, you know, do, do, you know, do not fear the pack of wolves led by a sheep you know, fear the pack of sheep led by a wolf yeah. type thing. Like, and they all wore sheep masks and he sat there, he was the wolf and they were his sheep. Like that's what these people do. They're, they're charismatic enigmas that just draw people to them. And part of the reason they draw people to them is because they target people who can be drawn. Yeah. And the, they target the disenfranchised. They target the, the poor, people the, look the like, down and out. Well, and, and people looking for a sense of belonging. You know, yeah. like they, they get people to admit they that. They find like, the outcast. They, you know, they're they're the middle child of a family who feels as though they, they don't belong one way or the other to either side of the family. Or, you know, they're, they're the youngest of four. So they were kind of forgotten after a while because everyone else had big things going on and they were just coming up. You know, the somebody who, you know, they had a, a great relationship going and then they found out that their significant other was cheating on them long term with someone else and they were the other guy or other yeah. girl like they 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 thrive on these people who are just bleeding out of society and they make they give them a place they give them a, a spot and then they just control them it, yeah. it, it's and it's so fascinating and creepy from a psychological standpoint it, it it was one of my favorite things to learn about in college like just the psychology and stuff of this type was of this person. all just in a psychology class this was all part this? this was all part of my criminal justice stuff oh okay so as as much as I sit here and say that like a criminal justice degree is useless I learned some really really fascinating right. shit See, so, I didn't go to college or at least I didn't go to college long enough to really learn anything so I mean I, I like I didn't learn a ton I learned more about life than I did about stuff in right. books but like the stuff this was the stuff that I enjoyed yeah. like this was the stuff that like fascinated me as a whole uh, and the, just the diving in of the human condition and like these people are masters of it. They're masters of the human condition. They're ma they they draw people to them and control them. And then 
really the outrageous and egregious acts happen when they lose that control. Yeah. You know, the, the Waco shootout happened because the ATF was coming in. He had lost control. You know, the, the mass suicide happened was because he thought someone was going and the U.S. government was coming down with the heavy hand of God and he lost control. Like that, that, like that control yeah. is such a factor in all this. And that's what's scary about it. Like that, like in the, the people who are inside, there's one of two people. They either know and want out or they don't know and are just surrounded by it and just this is home. This yeah. is where I belong. And that's what makes this so, so scary. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Cults, like, thing is, like, they're never going to go away. I mean, they're a lot less common now than it seems that they used to be. It seems like, the, you know, the 60s and the 70s when everyone was all hopped up on drugs and shit. Uh, there was a lot of fucking cults, but, you know, they're, they're extremely enigmatic people to be able to lead a cult. So, um, just to, to wrap up, because we are well over time. We're about a, an hour and 12 minutes here. Oh, an Jesus, hour and 13 minutes here, yeah. So um, I just looked up the top 10 current cults in the U.S., and I, you know, we said we wouldn't talk about them much more. Uh, and this is – I'm going to to, to pre- preface this with this is on ChristianAnswers.net. So you know what? I'm not even going to do it. Um, Cut this bit. Uh, you know, oh, here we go. Let's go with this. Five utterly insane cults in America still active today. How's that? Yeah, that works. Let's see what let's see what we got here. Um Realism? I don't know what that is. No. Never um, heard of it. New Mathra Verbidadan. Famous no. cults in America, the the Kashi Ashram. I, the list, the, so there are some, the Brethren. I mean, there was that most recent one, that Nexium, that was like the sex cult that the chick from yeah Smallville got caught up in because she was basically like the recruiter for the girls and shit. Right. Well, bottom line is that there still are some active. They're not nearly to this extent or this. Uh, yeah. But again, that doesn't mean like at some point neither were these. So, right. um, the. This is some scary, scary shit in modern day America and like recent history. So, yeah, uh, this was a fantastic and fan- fascinating episode. I loved it. Yeah, this was a good I spent time. Way too much time like researching this shit for this episode. I'm sure you did. And uh, which is why we're going to split the task for our next one, which is serial killers. Yes. You have your list. I have mine. Yes. I have to find my list. It's somewhere. I have it. it. Okay, thank you. Because <laughs> God knows I probably don't know where it is. So uh, that'll do it for this episode of Comedy Debauchery. Comedy Debauchery, part of the BSCBP Radio Network, www.bscbp-radio.com, slash Comedy Debauchery. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, anywhere else you get your podcast from. Find us on Facebook. Just search Comedy Debauchery. Like, follow, share, subscribe, do all the fun stuff. And with that being said, I am the Nightmare. And I'm Ron Jack. And this has been Comedy Debauchery. Debauchery.